Thanks for joining the Two Spies podcast. We're continuing our study in the book of Genesis, and today we'll be starting at chapter 1, verse 26, where we left off last week, and ending up at chapter 2, verse 9. We hope you're enjoying this study and getting something out of it, and we look forward to hearing any comments you may have on our website at twospies.net. Well, Genesis one twenty six. let me read it. Uh, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creepy thing that crawls on the earth. Uh, the word after in Hebrew is K, which is, which can be translated according to. And as we've spoken about uh, through the book of Genesis so far, it's God showing a continuous pattern. And here, Genesis one twenty six is no different. You can read it simply as God made man according to his image. I, I don't know if we shared this. I guess we can because we're right here in the midst of 26 and 27. Yeah. But uh, we had talked about uh, Bezelmo and uh, in image his be. Zelmo. And there's a guy uh, that God tells Moses he gifted. Uh, this is one of my favorite names in the Bible. I don't think I'd name a kid after this guy, but uh, Bezalel. I do like Bezalel as a name, but just the meaning of it is he's the guy that God gifted with all the ability to work the stones, to be able to cut diamonds and, and amethyst and all the different stones they had. He could work gold. He could work wood. And God tells Moses I gifted that guy to make all the images I showed you on the mountain. All of my images that I showed you, I guess we're jumping into a big can of worms there, but I really think that, that Moses was transported in a way or allowed to see into heaven to the actual temple. And, and he t- basically told him, make copies of all this stuff. I don't think Moses was writing down, okay, so make it how wide? Make it two cubits wide. Okay, two cubits wide. And you said, how high? A cubit and a half? Yeah. yeah. I don't think God was dictating that way. Right. I think Moses was in the presence of this item, this altar, this altar of bread, this altar of incense, this candlestick. He's in the presence of this thing, and God says, Look at it good and go make one like it. And then he comes back down off the mountain and God says, that guy, Bezalel, uh, Bezalel, Bezalem El, put together in the image of God. He's going to make all the images that God showed Moses. I just think that's a neat thing. <laughs> what do you think about uh, God creating us in his image, male and female? There's a few thoughts that come to my mind on that. You know, in God, there is no male or female. Our covering or flesh or body or, you know, is a part of what makes us male and female. The other part deals with our inner working, such as emotions, mind and and position in life. Um, I hate to use the term position, but what I mean is we have different roles. Um, It's just a combination of things that make us male and female. It's not just the physical appearance. We have a different makeup, so to speak, and personality and emotional response and, and whatnot. And I think of the Trinity, you know, three in one, God creates us um, out of us, forms another being, but different in, in nature, different in complement um, or complements us and completes us in a sense. I will get to that, you know, next week, perhaps, um, but trying but tying it in with your question, you know, God brought the animals to man so he can name them. He names them and God says, 
there still isn't a suitable helper for men. This is pre-sin. This is before anything, um, an error or hate or, or anything uh, that comes into the world. So this is pre-sin. And God sees that man is alone before sin ever entered the world, which I think is kind of fascinating. Uh, does Adam know he's alone? Probably not. Um, but he knows that he is alone based on his kind, meaning he's the only one of his kind as he names all these animals. So as we see and speak out about with the pattern, animals, animals produce after their own kind, plants produce after their own kind. And God says it's not good for man to be alone, a solo kind. Uh, he needs a helper and he needs to produce. Um, it also seems to be symbolic about the church and Jesus in a way. You know, the church was birthed um, out of Jesus in a sense. Okay, so sometime we're going to have to talk about all the stuff that's wrapped up in Jewish weddings. Yeah. That's heavy stuff on yeah. it. I, I like that stuff. Uh, I, would, I do want to go before we jump any further off of this one just to say, because uh, we really didn't even center on this, but uh, chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Every And we did to say this last uh, last podcast, but every time that Moses writes right here, God, Elohim, is plural, and all the verb tenses are singular masculine third person, which is he. He did this. So the verb here is vayumer, Elohim. Vayumer is he spoke. That's he, singular, spoke. And then Elohim, plural, God. But what did God say? He said, let us make man. Naase Adam. Naase is, we said a while ago, one of the verbs for to make was ase. Naase is plural, we. we we're going to make this. Then he says, in our image. Bezelmenu. Uh, Engnu on the end of a noun is plural. Uh, we, or ours. It's ours. So whatever the noun is. Uh, image, zelem, zelemenu. Uh, so, enu on the end, and then kedemutenu, uh, in or according to our likeness. Enu on the end is our. So, just wanted to say and point out there in the grammar, um, we discussed last week just for a moment that Moses writes this whole chapter down, 31 verses. There's five verses that don't have the word Elohim in it. There's six verses that have it twice, so it's all counted for anyway. But every time you see Elohim, that's plural. Every time you see a verb that Elohim does, it's singular, masculine, sing, uh, third person, he. And then you got right here, here's God speaking. In the grammar, God is speaking as a plural we. This is. Uh, I thought it was neat too. By the way, and uh, we know that Muhammad stole a pretty good bit of Hebrew concepts and scripture that he had probably heard for a long time when he wrote the Quran. He claims that that God is singular and that, or that Allah is singular and there is nobody like Him. But he did not seem to think to change the we's when he wrote them down to eyes. So there's different places in the Quran where it says we made man. Well, if, it's, if if Allah is a singular individual type of being, and he may be talking about angels or jinn, like uh, a, uh, angels would, or demons would be jinn. If the jinn are there, did they create men with God, with Allah? No, they're not creators. They were created. So just a, a funny thing there in the grammar also that carries across with this person who takes a lot of scripture from the, the Hebrew Bible 
translates it into his language and writes it down. And then there we have we's all over the place. And I haven't done a whole lot of uh, verb work in, in Arabic, but it's plain enough. Right. right, let's go to verses 28 through 31. Um, verse 28 kind of shows our difference compared to everything else, you know, having dominion, which I think you mentioned before. The difference between us and the animals of the beast is we have dominion. Uh, verse 29, uh, I think it's interesting. The word given can also be translated as hands down to. So God is technically handing down um, this authority for us to take care of the plants, animals, etc. That's neat. Natati, I have given. That's a singular first person. <laughs> Makes you wonder which he's just now proclaimed himself plural. Makes you wonder which one is speaking now of the Trinity to him. <laughs> it's got to be the Father. <laughs> um, well, any thoughts as we kind of close out chapter one and hit chapter two? Before we do, because I was thinking about this today, I was thinking, I wish we had said something about that. It's another Trinity comment. Uh, we see there in the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we immediately in our English uh, New Testament post-cross Christian mindset, we say, oh, uh, God, the Father, that's the God we're thinking of. And then the second verse there, we see uh, Ruach Elohim. The Ruach is the, the breath or the spirit, the wind of God. So we think, oh, well, okay, we can accept that too. There's the Holy Spirit there. You don't really see the sun there. But this is one uh, chapter I have used often with Jehovah's Witness at the door. They will not even open their Bible and look at their translation of it or discuss my translation of it. They won't discuss this chapter. Uh, this is Hebrews 1. Uh, and I'll skip down through some things because it basically says like uh, verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say? So it's a question. Which one of the angels did God ever say this? And it's a negative uh, suggestion. It's a negative question. The answer is no. Uh, or again, such and such. Or again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So basically, uh, Hebrews is, throughout the different chapters, is taking something down and elevating Jesus up. Including Moses at one point takes Moses down, elevates Jesus up. Takes uh, Melchizedek down one time, elevates Jesus up. Takes the law down one time, elevates Jesus up. Takes the uh, the tabernacle down one time, elevates Jesus up. In this first chapter right here, he, uh, whoever the the writer of Hebrews is, he takes angels down and elevates Jesus up. So for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Which one of the angels did he ever say that to? And it's implying none. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But, but. Of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God. This is God speaking. Your throne, O God. Whoever he's speaking to, he's speaking about the Son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness, your, excuse me, the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, 
Remember, God is speaking about the Son. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Sounds good right there. But. <laughs> With the oil of gladness beyond companions. And here's what I wanted to get to about the first page of Genesis. We have God speaking about the Son, and he says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Who rolls up the scroll of the sky in the end? God does. But this here is God speaking about the sun. You're going to roll the heavens up like a garment. They'll be changed. But you are the same and your years have no end. Just uh, a comment here that God is saying to the sun. You did a good job laying the foundations of the earth. You did a good job making the heavens, son. Just just neat there. You got you got all three of them. If you take the Bible as a whole, the the doctrines that we say exist, like the Trinity, they prove themselves out in the grammar, they prove themselves out from the New Testament to Old Testament, forwards and backwards, again and again. Well, let's uh, kind of go to chapter two now. Uh, chapter two is kind of finishing the thought of chapter one with creation and kind of putting the stamp on, on it. Uh, verse three, the word holy means to remove from common use or subject with special treatment. You know, I think, you know, God gave the seventh day special treatment and why? Because he favored it. Why did he favor it? The process of his plan was complete. He was never going to create something out of nothing. He created things to produce themselves. He isn't going to create another universe, another earth, another human um, from nothing or from the dust and so on. Uh, he left He left it up to us to produce, which I think is part of that blessing that he mentioned. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's just taking time off from creating and working. Um, I think it has much more value than that. It's time. It's a time to stop and admire or be in awe of his creation. This whole creation is, is God's masterpiece. He designed it in such a way that it'll produce love and worship and union and life and on and on. Um, you think of an artist painting. Uh, he paints and paints, and when he's done, he looks back, and if it's good, which God says, you know, it's good, um, he can rest. He can admire his work. Um, it doesn't mean he stops painting necessarily, uh, but there will never be another painting like it. People can duplicate it. He can paint something like it, but still there's going to be these these artistic strokes that will never be um, like the original. And I think that's a big part of why the Sabbath is mentioned as far as holy as separation or why it's so special. You know, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. We need rest. We need sleep. Um, we need to pause. And I think it also gets us off looking at ourselves and back onto God, almost to reset in the week. Um, if we depend on God, then everything else falls into place as we, you know, read through scripture. Um, and something David and I were talking about earlier, which was something interesting, though it may be nothing but good to hit nonetheless, is a word host in verse 1, um, savah in Hebrew, which can be translated army, warfare, host of heaven, warriors, troops, heavenly entourage. So it kind of toys with the idea of some kind of um, armed force spirituality in a sense. Um, you know, I think it kind of, Talks about the angels, a, a heavenly army, so to speak. 
I'm not 100% on this. I haven't really studied it. I just looked at the word and thought it was kind of an interesting translation. Um, just a thought to think about and perhaps study more. Uh, yeah. Neat there that the Greek Septuagint, Septuagint is cosmos. They, they translate the word Zaba as cosmos. Which I don't, in my mind, does not carry at all the connotation of a host of armies. It carries the connotation of looking through the Hubble telescope, seeing endless black with endless amounts of galaxies everywhere. Yeah. That's what I think when I think of cosmos. Hmm. Both of them would make sense, but there's also the word uh, uh, Uranus. Uranus is Greek for heavens, which we see there, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. That, that's that's kind of a funny thing to have uh, Uranus and Cosmos both in there. And I wish I could just blow that up for you, but I, had to, I would have to look into that a lot more. Uh, verses 5 and 6, I think it's interesting. Um, Guy could have worked the ground, but he gave us the earth to work. Uh, the earth was our gift or present, so to speak. Guy gave us creation, this earth, the animals, the plants, Everything really for our enjoyment, our heaven, uh, in a sense. Uh, I want to point out one thing while we're, because we're just now hitting on it, really, even though we've already covered both. He created the earth and all the stuff on it, gave it to us, created the woman. There is this running theme through the whole Bible to the very end, redemption of the bride and the land. And it's something that we'll, we'll, we'll run across it as we run across it. But it's the neatest thing when I noticed it one day and I thought, wow, it happens over and over and over again. What did we give up at the beginning? In a sense, in, in chapter 3, we gave up the, the rulership over the earth. We gave it a title deed. We put it down on the table and walked out. And the devil said, oh, I'll just claim that. And he has a legal right to it. And God establishes rules and systems and he doesn't break those. So God actually played by the rules to purchase, to redeem, to buy back both things that were lost that day. In a sense, yes, he gave a bride to Adam, but in a sense, mankind is his bride originally. Right. Adam and Eve both. The creation of mankind was God's bride. It was his uh, helpmate in a way. That was lost. And the field was lost. So we have these wonderful picture types like Ruth and Boaz. And what does he buy back? A bride and a field. It, it's, I don't know, it, we'll run across that also again and again and again. It's, it's, when I saw that one day, I thought, oh, wow. The earth's going to be ours again. He's going to redeem the bride of the Lamb, the bride of Christ, and redeem the earth too. And then it'll be ours again. Plan B is plan A. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, God had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Uh, I have to show the egg on my face now. I was really mean as a teenager, and I was with a girlfriend at her church. I think it was a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, either way. We went in, she and I, as teenagers, went in with the teacher who was teaching the little kids. I don't know why we went in with them. We weren't teachers. We didn't know anything about it. But we went in there, and I was the kind of jerk at that level of age. I think I was 17 then. 
I knew enough about the Bible. This is one thing that has pushed me to study the Bible. I knew enough about it then to cause the average Christian trouble, and I did whenever I got opportunity. That's why I have studied, because I want to have answers that people want to poke at about and just have the answer and be ready for it. But uh, I was a smart mouth and a, a jerk, and she's teaching the kids about Noah uh, building the boat, and after the flood, there's this rainbow in the sky. So, and I don't remember if she was, uh, maybe I'm wrong, maybe she was teaching out of this section right here. But she's either teaching out of this section right here where the water was coming up from the ground and a mist was watering the ground. Yeah. But I think it was about no because it got to the subject matter of the rainbow. And I said, so you mean to tell me that water in the sky acts as prisms and splits light into the colors of the rainbow, but that particular science never worked before that time. <laughs> we don't have any reason to say that there was or was not a rainbow there, but uh, jerk. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to be. A, I was a jerk, and I was a young kid. But either way, she didn't have an answer for me, and I guess we should formulate one here <laughs> ourselves. But uh, I've heard uh, a lot of different things about the this the the atmospheric situation. Then, yeah, just possible ideas because uh, we go back to Genesis one and we see that the. The firmament separated the waters. Right. There, and we have, remember we said there was, heaven was Shemayim, that's their water, and water is plural, uh, excuse me, dualistic, not plural, there's two. Mayim, the word water, is dualistic, it's not plural or it's not singular, it is two. But uh, there is, a, uh, what, what's the word? I don't want to use a, a dome. What do you call a dome? There is a dome of the sky that right. is being supported in some way or another atmosphere. as atmosphere, and it is supposedly very thick moisture. Now, it's, it's around 92. I could be wrong there. It's around 92, I think, percent that our atmosphere presently is water vapor right now, which we're not going to get into global warming, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but, Another kind of warm. <laughs> but uh, if there is a dome above the sky and the water is, is watering up through, I can't say really I know that there wouldn't be rainbows then. But it had never rained so far. So I know I'm leaving that open-ended with no answer to the question. I have heard also that that dome of moisture uh, – created situations that allowed for them to live these 900 and such and such years. And we don't have any indication really that there was a winter or a, a fall, but we do have indication back here that the sun, moon, and stars were made for seasons, days, and years. So maybe plants were completely different then, but uh, as far as we can see, they had seeds within them, within them that were containing the information according to their kind to create another tree. So the apple grows. The I don't want to use apple. The pear grows. <laughs> the seed comes out of the pear. The seed has the information to grow a new uh, pear tree. The pear tree grows. It makes more fruit. That fruit contains other seeds. So we have this pattern like that. That pattern works. And in our present world, by seasons and changing of changing of weather. I mean, you can take some seeds, and if you want to germinate them, 
you can uh, like if you're out of season, you want to germinate them. You put the seeds in your freezer for a time. You make them think they've been through winter. When you bring them out, they're ready to start uh, growing like like a normal spring. Right. Uh, so that's that's closing up verse six. Verse 7, we just covered that a moment ago. Uh, I do want to cover one more little tiny detail. I told you a while ago there was one letter difference. This gets into what we had said a while ago uh, about the Pardes uh, interpretation, the different levels of interpretation. And I want to go at a, a remez here, or a possible sod, a, a hint or illusion or a mystery. Sure. In this right here, what is the difference... Because, I mean, like I'm saying, there's a there's a small difference, the very small difference in verse seven. By Yazer, the verb and he formed, and in verse nineteen, was it nineteen? I believe so. Uh, so out of the ground, yeah. By Yazer in nineteen is if you could hear a little bit of difference, is it? It's the difference in the 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 I or the short I. Is it I like fridge or E like freezer? But in 19, it would be Vayizer. In 7, it would be Vayizer. It has an extra Yod. So the very first letter there is a Yod. Oh, excuse me. After the, after the Vay. Vay is, is uh, and. But the beginning of the verb itself is Yizer. It looks like a little comma. That's Yod. The one where he forms man has an extra Yod in it. Just... Keep that in your back pocket for a moment. As we read along, what he made them both out of, he made them both min ha-adama. Min is from ha, the adama is ground. So he made uh, man, he formed, excuse me, he formed man from the ground. He formed animals from the ground. The difference here on man is the extra yod. And before min ha-adama is the word afar. Afar means dust or like a fine particle. So there's something about man that has an extra yod. What does that possibly mean? And what is afar? Afar is the smallest, tiniest piece of dust. I think it's pointing at details in the creation of man. So in Vayizer, Vayizer, the extra yod, what is yod? It's the 10th letter of the alphabet, you know, the Hebrew alphabet, the alphabet. What is 10? When you think of the Bible, this is one of the simplest number of symbolisms to think of. When you think of the Bible, you think of ten. What do you think of? Commandments. Ten commandments. The law. The law was not given to animals. Animals don't have the same authority, and they don't have the same image, and they don't have the same responsibility. That's interesting. And, and they're not made... Afar min ha'adama. They're just made min ha'adama. We're made from afar, that smallest dust-like piece of the dust, piece of the dirt. Not a huge deal there, not a huge uh, issue, but I just looked at that one day and I thought, well, what's the difference? You, you don't really, you barely hear yeah. a difference. It means no different. It doesn't change the tense, uh, like a past tense or a future tense, nothing like that. It doesn't change uh, who did it as far as uh, is it singular or plural. It doesn't change anything at all. It just adds an element that's detail right. that you're talking about. Right. It's a, it's a very, very small detail. And, and that also being the, the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
let's go to verse eight. Eden uh, means a place of luxury. And this kind of goes along with our previous conversation about the earth being a parallel reflection of heaven. Um, God made the heavens for himself to dwell, um, for his throne to be dominion over that, and the earth for us. It's part of that reflection. God rules over things in heaven, and man rules over things on earth, in a sense. Um, verse 9, I believe the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are, are two separate trees. Um, some have said it's the same tree. I personally believe it's two separate trees. Uh, the phrase, and the and verse nine can also be translated together with. So it kind of simply, it seems to imply that there are, there are two separate trees, but together in the same area. I go with that. I go with it because I think, uh, and we'll get to this when we, let's see, chapter three, basically after we eat from the knowledge of good and evil, he sends us out. Where's it at? Verse 22, lest that's for fear that, he send, after we eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he sends us out of the garden for fear that we will reach out our hand and take also from the tree of life and then live forever yeah. in that state. Since you kind of brought that up, this is, you know, fast forwarding a bit. But uh, since we're on the topic of trees and what you mentioned, we weren't tempted to eat from the tree of life because we already had a life. Um, I had a thought one day uh, several years ago. Um, why would God go to such great lengths to stop us from eating from the tree of life after we ate from the other tree? Um, he removed us from the Garden of Eden. He put an angel there with a flaming sword to stop us. I mean, what's the big deal about eating from the tree of life? Um, you know, the command God gave had nothing to do with the tree of life. It had to do with the tree that we disobeyed on. So why all of a sudden is God stopping us from eating this tree specifically? Um, I believe within the context, if Adam and Eve ate from the tree of life in the fallen state or in the sinful state, um, there would be no possibility, there would be no possible way to redeem us. We would be eternally damned, eternally in that sinful state. Go ahead. If you think about it, uh, well, bleeding off what you're saying, how do we get redeemed? We are redeemed right now by believing in Jesus Christ. Dying on the cross for our sins, he died. He had to die to do it. If God was ever going to become a man to pay for sin, but man was an eternal creature, he, he even God himself could not come and die in the flesh. But after we believe in that, in order to actually achieve that heavenly body that's supposed to come one day, we got to go through a physical death. If we, so it just bleeds off the same thing you're saying. That, that's what I would say is the reason it would leave us unredeemable right. because we couldn't experience death. Well, in the illustration idea, I see Jesus dying on a tree of the knowledge of good and evil as the tree of life. You know, Paul tells us that preaching the preaching of cross of the cross is foolishness. Um, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak to shame the strong. Uh, the Jews demand signs, the Greeks seek wisdom. And here we have that tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. We have that knowledge that we consider a strength or we boast about. And here on the cross, God shames us in that um, by the tree of life, by himself. Um, in other words, Jesus came as the tree of life to defeat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Jesus came to defeat the tree that brought sin into the world. 
Of course, that brings up, you know, a question I've heard several times. Why did God put the tree there in the first place? Um, the only answer that I think is plausible and that makes sense with the whole Bible, and I don't think it's a cop-out answer, is the subject and the topic of free will, free choosing. This is another one of those doctrines, though, that if, you're, if you do not agree with a certain doctrine, if you play that doctrine out through Scripture and it gives you a whole lot of trouble all the time, you're probably thinking the wrong thing about that doctrine. If you like, if uh, with Jehovah's Witness, they do not agree that Jesus is God. If you deny that Jesus is God, but you're going to still claim the Bible and you're going to claim Jehovah as your God, you have a whole lot of places that have doctrinal issues throughout your translation. They have their own translation. They don't use a real translation. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that. I'm not going to give that to them. They do not have a real translation. They've made their own. But if you have made your own translation, I'm sorry, the divinity of Christ, the deity of Christ is woven into it so many places, so many ways. I've checked out their translation, and they haven't gotten a spoonful of them straight, meaning they haven't fixed a spoonful of them to go along with their doctrine of denial. Their own translation still sits there proclaiming Jesus is God. And so my point of that is, if you believe a doctrine is that that's a wrong doctrine, the Holy Spirit has already inspired this book to be written in such a way that as you come across Scripture, just reading through it, it will attack your wrong doctrine. It will reinforce and build up your right doctrine. And where you don't have any doctrine about a subject yet, just read it, and it'll give you what you need. But if you believe the right thing about an idea that God is trying to preach from this book, as you read throughout the whole thing, he'll constantly reinforce that, that concept, and vice versa. Right. He'll tear down what you have, what you're holding that's false. But I think that's, that's one of them right there that we just talked about, so. Well, we hope you got some good information and you're studying the Bible for yourself and seeing what you can get out of uh, the scriptures. Um, next week, we'll be dealing with the second half um, of chapter two, and maybe we'll get into chapter three. We'll see. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at twospies.net. We'll see you next week.